The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello everybody and welcome to today's show. I'd like to welcome Moraidin Mwini from the band Alta. Moraidin Mwini is a native of the Donegal Gaelic of Gwydon. Her first language is Gaelic and she's learned many of her songs from family and neighbours as well as sourcing all the material from archive facilities. She's renowned as one of the leading exponents of Donegal fiddle music and likes to promote the music which she has inherited from her late father Francie whenever possible. Mairead's musical inspiration initially came from her family and neighbours, her father being a great fiddle teacher with a wealth of unusual local tunes many learned from his mother. She also received tuition and inspiration from Buncrana fiddle player Dean McLaughlin, who was a frequent visitor to her home when she was growing up. Mairead founded Altham along with her late husband Frankie Kennedy. From humble beginnings, they brought their music to the world arena without compromising the deep musical tradition they loved. Along with her work with Alton, Mairead is always in demand for solo work while presenting traditional music programs on radio or television. Past projects include the classic radio show The Long Note and the television series The Pure Drop and the full set on RT1. Mairead has recorded with other musicians such as Enya, The Chieftains, Dolly Parton, The String Sisters, Tea with the Maggies and many more. Welcome to the show, Mairead. How are you? Hello, Simon. How are you? Great. Thank you for asking me on. You're welcome. I, you, you were, I do have some people on my radar and you were on my radar for a while. And I was like thinking, oh, I must get Mairead on. And I mean, you're a great musician, a great artist. And it's a pleasure. I, I like to get interesting artists on the show because people with a backstory, you know, because sometimes... Like, I mean, a lot of musicians have great backstories, but I think your story and with Alton and everything, it's really interesting. And, and it's great to see you guys still going and, you know, hopefully back touring again. Yeah, we're still going. We're back touring uh, in October. We're actually working this weekend with Imelda May and uh, we're just, it's very, a lot of virtual stuff done d- during the lockdown, but starting working properly now in October. Brilliant. Yeah. And I, I can imagine, obviously, in the past with Alton, um, because if you were in different places, it was a bit more difficult. But now with technology and virtual stuff, it's a little bit easier. It's changed probably for you, no? Oh, my God. Sure. When we started off, there was no mobile phones. <laughs> so that makes life easier. Uh, there was no, um, you know, Google Maps or anything, we got lost so often, you know, in Germany and trying to find your address in the German language. Well, my God, and or, you know, in Switzerland or somewhere like that. So like life has become easier with the Google Maps and with mobile phones. You can ring up your hotel ahead. You can ring the venue up. You can, you know, everything is just more accessible and that makes a musician's life easier, especially when you're on the road. Every little minute counts when you get to a venue or if you get to a hotel that the, the keys are ready to get straight into your room. And, you know, all those little things make a big difference to us on the road. Yeah, because, you know, 
like as everybody knows, when you have a family of, you know, two kids, three kids and a mother and father in a car and, and in the past it'd be getting lost and the mother and father would be arguing saying you shouldn't have taken the left turn and he's gone, I that was a right turn. Yeah. And but when you have a band and they're late <laughs> for the gig and they've no Google Maps and there's six or seven of them in the back of the van. <laughs> Different story. Oh yeah, well, Life is easier now, yeah. It just makes everything, and you can, you know, there's so many. It, it's it just makes everything more accessible and easier to deal with. You can actually, you know, go onto your phone and get your plane tickets, and you know, just different things like that. And 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 it does just save time and effort. So, Maureen, tell us, you're in in Ireland at the moment, and have you been kind of you know, did you stay still for the last few months or did you manage to travel around or what kind of, how was the whole COVID and restrictions for you? Well, we were in the middle of an American tour last year, last uh, last March. And uh, we were reading the Irish papers and following the Irish media and English papers, but they weren't saying that in, through the media in the US. So we knew that there was, the story was worse than what we were being told in America. So I rang home and rang one of the local TDs. Actually, it was Pierce Doherty of Sinn Féin because he's a neighbour. And he said, get home as soon as possible. So we, I rang up the other bands that I knew from Ireland. I told them what he had said. And we all started looking for flights home. So we were home by the 15th of uh, March luckily and I loved that actually I actually loved being at home and not having any prospect of traveling again because that hasn't happened in 30 years for me so that was nice uh at home with my daughter uh just taking it really easy uh very frightened initially because of the the actual disease itself because nobody knew how it was going to affect each family and how vulnerable we were as, you know, anybody was. So we were very careful and I was a bit frightened and I was a bit anxious about it. But then I settled down and I started playing loads of music, composing loads, uh, doing a lot of virtual charity work for cancer, for homeless, for different. uh, I was delighted to be able to do that as well. So there was a lot of virtual charity work done. And then I didn't see the band for a good while until uh, I think we were asked by Hot Press magazine to to sing one of Van Morrison's songs for his 70th birthday, which we did. And that was great fun to get together. Um, well, we had to do it virtually initially. And then we they came. Most of the band came to Donegal and we we actually recorded it in Manus Lonnie studio, which is very close to my house here in Carrickfinn. And then we did that. So that was nice to get together just to, and that's when the COVID, like we were more open, we were able to actually travel that time. And then again, there was another lockdown. And, but in the meantime, I was really, really enjoying being at home and just playing music for my own selfish, (laughs) my own selfish reasons. You know, it was just great. I loved it. Yeah, because, you see, I suppose it was kind of like a reset for a lot of people, you know, maybe a reset that went on a bit too long and people are really itching to get back now on stage and thread the boards and every kind of thing. 
But I think for a lot of people like that, they mightn't have taken that time out themselves. They would have kept, you know, filling the calendar, getting the gigs and so on. But we had no choice. So everyone had to sit back, kind of relax a little bit, you know, spend more time with the family, get to know each other again and say, okay, well, now I have more time to write stuff and compose and draw and be an artist and take a walk by the lake. You've, you had more time to kind of indulge everything else, no? Yes, I, I agree totally. It was just amazing. But the only thing was we weren't making a living. And, of course, it was the the performers that were still, we don't know what's going to happen uh, as regards playing live music here in Ireland. So it was really, it was very um uh, it was anxious in that way. So it was great that the PUP, you know, payments came through. And then I set up a, a, a fiddle um, workshop, which I pre-recorded. And I started to uh, advertise it on Facebook. And then I didn't have to be on the PUP because I was able to make a living through online stuff. So I think we all started to become more creative on how we can make a living when things are this bad, you know, I think people, um, especially musicians, you know, it, it's such a precarious job, you know, that, you know, you don't play because you want to make money because it's so up in the air, you know. Uh, sometimes people are lucky enough to be able to make a good living out of it, but most people just bide, you know, bide over just so uh this was really nice to have something at income and still be at home and i realized that i i really don't want to be running around after my tail anymore you know but i have to because i have we had to reschedule a lot of the tours and looking forward to going on tour but it's not the beginning and end for me anymore I, I want to stay at home more well, I suppose for a lot of musicians like that I mean it's different when you're 20 but you know when you get a bit older then and you're always on the road when you stop you probably then go Jesus I, I do a lot maybe I do too much and you know when you have to stop maybe you think well when I go back to it I don't know will I go back with the same kind of vigor maybe I'll slow down a little and find other avenues to make a few quid and kind of go when I choose rather than just at the behest of a manager or an agent going all the time. Well, we were we thought we were doing that, but I realized we were working very hard. You know, we would go to the States maybe twice a year and then we would maybe go to Japan every second year and then Europe a few times a year. So we'd come home and really you'd only, you know, clean your clothes from your suitcase till you had to go again you know and uh, I don't think that's the way to have especially quality of life I have a daughter that I really really enjoyed being with this last year she's 17 now going on 18 and it's just a special time I spent with her and she plays music as well and we played more music together and sang more together and we did a few gigs online together as well. So that was very important yeah. for me. That's Nia, no? That's Nia. That's Nia. Yeah, Nia. Yeah. She's yes. uh, oh, she's the boss. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Lovely name. Lovely name. Thank you. She's the boss. <laughs> she's like, ma'am, you're home now. This is what you have to do. <laughs> ah, no, she's not that bad. No, no, no. She's great. She's And I have to praise the young people this year 
I thought all that age group, you know, teenagers in the uh, early 20s, they've been so patient and so good and they should be praised. And I know that they've all been out partying and why not? That's their nature. They have to be together, you know. And I feel that they should be getting loads of praise for how well they were. Because I know when I was that age, I couldn't be kept away from my friends, you know. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that's that's true because, you know, I know now they're going a bit mad the last few days. And, you know, but the thing is, it's crazy the, the patience they've had to endure as well as the older people. But, you know, when you have all that blood in your veins and the fire in your heart, you kind of want to get out and see the world and do stuff. But they've had to kind of be sitting at home. And, you know, what's really sad is, I've I've attended one or two 21st online parties and you're kind of, you know, the 21-year-olds are stuck at home with the mom and dad having a cup of tea with maybe a drop of whiskey in it or whatever, but they're in the front room of the house and you're kind of like, wow, this is very different. It is. It's really different. And, you know, there was a bit of sunshine brought people out. But what we have to do is facilitate that, you know. We have to make it safe for them and bring out the skips if you need to have the skips to throw the stuff in and then you know just control it in a way where they have a distance but let them be together you know and have toilets there and stuff you know it's all you know it's all you know uh temporary so let's facilitate it rather than put them down all the time because that's their nature we all did it we all needed to be together at that age um, I think we have to really praise them instead of giving off about them, you know, facilitate them. And, you know, yeah, the the shame about it is now, I know there's so many views on, you know, the restrictions and lockdowns and everything, but it's a shame now the government are kind of saying, oh, well, you know, people, if they don't behave, we'll have to, you know, extend the, the curfew on the bars and the restrictions. And you're kind of, they're kind of holding the people to ransom. It's like, if you if kids are going out having fun or anybody and they don't do what we ask, well then things aren't going to be as we promised. And you're kind of like, are we are we like four years old or what's what's going on? So I I think um, the problem is it's like anything. If you keep the dog in the house for too long, when he gets out, he'll probably run off down the fields. Exactly. You know, it's just like a big steam. You know, the steam is ready to come out, and really. They knew that would happen as soon as the good weather would come. So just just make it safe for them. It's easy to do. Put a few portaloo cabins there. Get the skips out. Make it, you know, you, you, you can actually temporarily put a few chairs out and make it civilized rather than uncivilized because, um, and just, you know, facilitate them and respect. And if you respect them, you know, the young people, the young people were, and the same with us older people where when it opens up, just trust that we'll do it properly and that we, we don't want to catch COVID. Uh, nobody wants to catch COVID. We'll all be responsible. The majority of people, there's always going to be a few who, who won't, but most people have the sense and those people that want to go out We'll have the sense to be sensible and just a bit of respect would be nice, you know. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's go back a little bit, Mairead. So obviously you were you were born in Guidor and tell us about your early life in Guidor because like your home place there, was it a very rural place? 
Oh, yeah. Well, Gidor is a big gale tart. It's one of the largest gale tarts in the country. So the area where I am, it's a rural area where I was born, but it's one of the most populated rural areas in northwestern Europe. So, you know, it's not very scantily. Uh, let's say they, 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 there are houses everywhere, all, all, all over the Rosses, Gidor and Clahinela. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a great resurgence of um, culture here. Uh, like my father was a great uh, fiddle player, but he also wrote plays and songs. He was a teacher. He was uh, he was in charge of the local GAA. He he was in charge of the local, um, you know, marching band. So there was a lot of stuff happening, you know, between drama and then there was songs and then there was tunes and GA matches every Sunday. And, you know, so there was a lot of activity and a lot of, you know, there wasn't, you were never bored because there was a lot going on. So I was very lucky to be brought up in such a, vibrant cultural um, place and it was all done through the medium of Irish but it wasn't kind of pushed down your throat I think it's very important when when you're trying to teach people Gaelic that it's fun and that it's you know we like it's survived so many thousands of years now where people have a great sense of humor and them speaking Irish and all of that. So people think when they think of Irish, they think of straight jackets and everyone is so serious. It's the total opposite. And I wish people uh, would know that because there's so many, like in Ireland, there's so many people against the language, which is very sad but if I go away to America, for instance, or Japan or London, even to the BBC in London, they all think this is so special, this language that we have, <clears throat> that it's so ancient and that it's, it's so expressive and so poetic, especially when you hear the songs. Uh, this Isn't this really special? And it's only here in Ireland that you get any adversary about it. You know, it's really sad. Um but uh, no, it would be awesome. It's one of those things, you know, I've, I've brought it up in a few podcasts. Like, I'm not an Irish speaker, but, you know, since I, I'm living in Spain now and since I started learning Spanish, you know, I, I always would have liked to learn um, Irish. But, you know, it was a, a combination, of, as I always say, of my laziness and the school system I felt at the time. But now that I've kind of started learning Spanish, I'm learning it for a few years now, I always think, well, well, you know, maybe one day, maybe I'll, you know, it'll come about. It's it's never too late to do anything. But I know I've had one or two guests, you know, I've had, I've had, uh, a Gail Gore, a girl from Nigeria on the show a few months ago. And I was talking to Pauline Scanlon actually a, a week or two ago. And we were talking about the whole Irish language and how it's kind of seen and portrayed. And the thing about it is <clears throat> it, that that kind of love-hate relationship with the language, it's true what you say. It's kind of more respected outside the country. But it's a shame that, you know, I think, for me, the big culprit has always been in 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 the Gaelic theories, for example, it's been brilliant because it's spoken naturally. But I think in the school system was the big problem because it was kind of forced down our throats a little bit. And 
the problem was, I know with, with us, we I remember in Irish class, we used to be making up rap songs <laughs> in Irish because we had no interest in what the teacher was doing. You know, it just wasn't kind of, it wasn't fun. Whereas like you said there, which is a, a really good point, when you were growing up, you had fun in Irish. You lived your life in Irish. You enjoyed it. Like, I mean, the the you know, it's so strange. I was I was a teacher one time in my other life, <laughs> and uh, I remember I I agree at the curriculum and the education curriculum. It was so backward. Like it was, it showed uh, girls out picking flowers and the boys doing this and that. And I used to just throw that to one side and I used to draw pictures and tell jokes in Irish and the kids would be rolling about and just make it fun. And all of the kids that I ever taught, and I was teaching in Malahide, they all come back to me and said they loved the Gaelic language because of that, because they had fun doing it. And, you know, we used to just make it real rather than putting it oh, this is what girls do, this is what boys do. It was so old-fashioned. It didn't make any sense, you know. So I used to have great fun telling them kind of off-the-wall jokes and, you know, just just making it, this is a real language. This Real people speak. We laugh, we belly laugh in this language, you know. And, uh, you know, and it is very special as well because it's a way of thinking which is very important, you know, it's a psyche. Because if you speak in English, you think in a different way. So if you speak in Irish, it's the Gaelic way of thinking. And we, it's a different way. Like if you go to England, meet, uh, it's, like, it's like a different culture because the thoughts are different. The language keeps the thoughts. And that's our culture. That's the actual genesis of our culture, our language, and our thought, the psyche. So the psyche to me is really important to keep alive. And that's why I always advocate everyone to learn it. Like some teachers just can't communicate it properly. Some teachers hate the language and they're trying to teach it. The child will definitely pick that up. If you show enthusiasm and passion about anything, people pick that up and love it then, you see make it positive yeah no you're right and it like it doesn't matter what language if it's french irish english spanish whatever any language if the teacher has an enthusiasm and a passion for it and the child can see that and they can see that the teacher loves that language well that kind of comes across and it's not like i mean you know yourself as a teacher i'm a teacher here as well and the problem is that if you're not a teacher who's vocational it doesn't matter what you're teaching, if it's music or art or anything, you're not going to put across the right message. And, you know, the, the child mightn't see it at that age, but when they get older, they'll say, oh, that teacher didn't give a damn. And but you will remember the teacher who had the passion for art and the passion for theater and the passion for music. They're the ones you always remember. And you think, thank God for those people. Yeah, the good teachers. Yeah, the good teachers are the ones that make an impression and that make it you know, they might change your mind overnight because like you might be with one teacher for a year and then go into another teacher who has a different view completely of a subject and that makes it for you because you'll remember those as your favourite teachers and your favourite subjects sometimes as well. Yeah. So tell us, in your house, you know, I, I love hearing some of these old stories about the people's houses and in your house, you, you had like your, your brother and sister, Garo Janana, and you like you, you'd ha your mother was Kitty, wasn't she? And 
Katie, oh, Katie Rua. Rua. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so your house she's was an interesting alive. place. Yeah, she's still alive. That's brilliant. Well, oh, yeah. My mum's going to be 94 next week. So she's, yeah. And she's as young as anything. She, she says she does yoga every morning. I I have to still see it, but she says, I'm doing this. She gets, oh, she's so funny, you know. But she really is surprising the doctors. She's just, she's so flexible for a 94-year-old, you know, and very happy in herself. But anyway, at the, while growing up, Kitty and Francie, oh, they were just great fun. Like Francie was a teacher and he had, he, was, he had very strict, you know, strict upbringing in one way where you had to have manners and you had to do this and you had to do that. And, you know, and then in another way, there was great fun and devilment in the middle of it all, you know. So the music brought out the, you know, fun and you know, go to the match. He loved, uh, he loved football. Like, I mean, he wouldn't miss a match. And we'd go to that um, on a Sunday and maybe after that go for ice cream and then go home and he'd make play a few tunes on the fiddle. He was just a very creative man. He, he thought in a different way to most fathers that I knew because he, he was very bohemian, like, and uh, as well as being strict in one way, but very open to creative stuff, like always encouraged us to write or to play music or to paint. And that was the upbringing. And he kept on saying, if you're doing something, make sure it's your own style, especially on the fiddle, you know, don't be copying other people, be yourself. And I always remember that because it it just gave you a voice, uh, your own voice, you know. And uh, I think all those little things still, they they still are with me. And I always try and install that in younger players when they're trying to start off, you know, and I said, I'm playing it like this, you know, learn it as, as well as you can. But then when you have it well in your head, put your own stamp on it. Put, you know, that's why the music stays alive, especially traditional music. If you let people evolve and uh make the music their own that's why it stays for the next generation because they put their input into it you know tell me you know obviously in your house when you would have the house dances and everything do you remember <laughs> like what age were you when you kind of started playing at those house dances were you very young well we we wouldn't have the house dances this was the 60s so uh the house dances would have stopped uh, around our area before that but you know there'd be people coming to the house and they might be reading plays you know out of you know so they'd be you know you might have read Hugh O'Donnell in your house <laughs> reading a play you know and yeah, acting yeah. It out, you know or uh, my father might be chatting about Balor of the evil eye who was supposed to be a mythological figure that lived around here or um, then you take out the fiddle and we jump into the fiddle case pretending it was a boat, you know, and we'd say, Why didn't you need Jimmy Gagola? You know, uh, oh, it's yeah, one of the local songs. Why didn't you Jimmy Gagola? But we wouldn't let yeah, him play. I remember anything. that song. I remember yeah. that song growing up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we wouldn't let him play anything else except that one. And uh, <laughs> oh, because we were, that was our number one hit, you know. And uh, yes. the poor man, he had great patience. You know, he had to play all the nursery rhymes for us and stuff like that. And uh, then, 
later on in the 60s, uh, sessions started more or less around this area. And we had traveling, people would travel at weekends to play in Hootie Bugs, which is a local pub that we, my father would play in a lot. So we started meeting a lot of musicians there, like Paul Brady and Tommy Peoples and Christy Moore arrived in a few times. And, you know, you wouldn't know who would arrive and like, uh, it was all always musicians arriving in because it's a it was a well known place for music. So there was always someone coming into the session. So this was great for us, you know, to hear all these great singers and musicians. And uh, oh, we had a great time. And that was then in my late teens. We would start with the session there. And then we'd go to a disco and then we'd go to a party and then we'd be up all night and then we'd start the whole process. We'd go to the beach the following day and, you know, uh, go for dinner, go to the session. It was like Groundhog Day, you know, it was going the same thing happening every day. But we had a great uh, teenage years. My God, there was the place was mobbed with the young people and it was like being in California, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really good because we were even talking about it. You know, my my wife is Polish and she's lived in Ireland for a good few years. And, and you know, now we live in Spain. But before that, she lived in Ireland for seven or eight yeah. years. And she used to always say yeah. she loved in Ireland how, you know, people would go out on Saturday. But then on the Sunday, you know, the cure and the session would start again. And whether it was just drinking or it was it was music. But. Like I, I was saying to her, yeah, the Sundays are sometimes better than the Saturdays because people That's are a bit more relaxed because they've they've, they've let out all the fire the day before and then it's more relaxed yeah. on the Sunday and you'll hear the few tunes and you know there's a certain pub that'll have music and you'll go yeah. down and everyone's more chilled out because they're tired and everything. But yeah. Sunday, Sunday, I can imagine in, in that bar as well was would have been a great day, no? Yes, after mass, we'd we'd throw the instruments into the car going to mass on a Sunday, and after mass, we'd just jump in to Hootie Bikes for a few tunes, and then go home around two o'clock to make the dinner. Then, and uh, it was great, you know. The tunes on a Sunday morning were actually better because people were listening. People were more, as you were saying, more relaxed. That it wasn't as noisy, and you'd hear people's music better and. It was great, actually, great, great times, you know. Um, I I learned so much, you know, just sitting beside old folk, you know. It, what I I was chatting about this the other day with traditional Irish music, uh, and you know, we were all allowed into the bars from since I was ten years old. I was sitting in a bar playing a fiddle, but. Uh, uh, it was great because you made friends with 80-year-olds and 70-year-olds and your own age group. So there was no, you know, there was a great respect for all the age groups. We weren't we weren't all, you know, segmented into age groups. The music brought all the ages together, which was fantastic. And it, it made you respect the older people better because they had young minds, and they, but they had the wisdom as well and they were great fun 
So that was very important, I thought, a great education. Yes, for sure. That, that's a really important thing. And, you know, I think that's what's missing a, a lot of the time now in social circles is that I remember that myself, you know, going to the pub with your dad or mom. And, you know, of course, the mom or dad, you know, would say, oh, here's some money, go clip some pool or go with your friends. But in music bars, it was different because, you know, you'd be sitting around and, you know, the thing is like that, you'd get chatting to some old fisherman or some old builder or some old, and he'd have great stories. And and the thing was, that was kind of the life lived before. And you were like, wow, remember that guy? And he, he was such a legend. And, you know, and he, he'd tell you about things he used to do. He was off sailing in America and all these jobs. And because, you know, I always think when you look at old people, you can read their face, but you don't know what's gone on in their lives. And sometimes they have the best stories. Amazing stories. Like, you know, and, you know, it, it just, you, you, you gain an appreciation of these people and what they've done. And, you know, their minds are so, like, you learn so much about social history as well, of how it was for them at your age growing up. And, you know, it was just a lovely way to make friends. And you weren't, kind of stuck to your own age group you you had friends from every age group and I think that's really missing nowadays you know everything is so specialized and put into boxes nowadays and that thing that came out a few years ago where the government were saying if you're under certain age you're not allowed into bars yeah I understand why they brought that in but most people you know would bring their children in and supervise the children anyway you know, if they're in, if they're listening to live music or if it's the only thing that's happening in an area where the children can go and hear very good musicians playing together in a session in a natural way. And also the mixing and the way people rapport and how, you know, you're learning so much, you know, the ethics of being together with people and the manners involved, respect, all of that. I I I think it's 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 life uh it's a life uh, lesson for everyone you know to learn yeah and i suppose as life gets easier with all the luxuries and technology life is becoming more complicated and when we look back you know at our childhood and you say wasn't life so simple then you know all these people gathered in a room 20 foot by 20 foot playing a tune and do you know what I mean? Life was so much less complicated and people had more time for each other. Old had time for young and young had time for the old and so on. And now, I mean, you wonder, is it like down to people's fears or is it down to the media and everything? There's all this segregation of ages and everything. And, you know, I, I don't know, would you see it in many places now where the young and old are mixing as much as they used to one time? Yeah, it, it, it's changing and it'll change more because of when things open up. I think people will be more careful about going out. I think a lot of people won't be going out to go to big bars, uh, people will be frightened. Um, uh, there'll be a big change. I think it's going to be a changed world now to what it was. I never liked the very big bars where everyone was on top of each other shouting anyway. I always I always try to avoid those. But, you know, there was a happy medium where you'd go into a small little snuggy bar and 
was lovely congregation of people where you could hear people sing and you know then someone playing a tune and everyone playing together and like i hope that will come back you know yeah no i i think yeah and you know when you when just even you're talking about it there you have that nostalgia and those memories and it's kind of even you know it, it's you can think of those memories from 30 years ago and 40 years ago but even like 10 years ago i remember being in bars like that and uh for me now i'm living in spain for the last year eight years and the music scene is different here and the bar scene is different and you don't have that and i miss that a lot and i always kind of uh i'm thinking oh it'd be great to go home now and sit in a session and play a few tunes and that kind of stuff but the problem is you'd probably find it very difficult to find it all in certain places you would but it's more select now and then it will get even more select than that. So that will be the shame that we're losing a bit of our cultural identity in the sense of music and art. Yeah, because that is a unique thing that Ireland has that no other country has. You know, if you go anywhere else, that's socialization. And, you know, most areas in the country had sessions one of the nights you know uh, there'd be a bar local bar with the session and everyone would go there on that particular night and um it was so unique to us and people couldn't get over that this wasn't rehearsed it's never rehearsed everyone sits in it's like a conversation i start a tune you you pick up on the next tune someone else picks and we all try and learn the tune maybe that we don't know but we'll still be playing and it's just like a you know, a conversation and then the people stop playing and next thing someone says, oh, there's Johnny at the bar, get him to sing a song. And people think this isn't orchestrated at all. This is all spontaneous. And that is so unique to Ireland. And it's something we can't lose because people are just, they can't get over because it's the best time you'll hear the music as well because the music swells in those kind of situations where people are enjoying playing together and it becomes that you, you never hear music like that on stage. It's just impossible because there's a lot of goodwill and everything else helping. And, and you know, there's nobody's being judgmental. I remember, you know, sometimes like sitting in with a session or just you'd be playing a song and someone would say, oh, sit in with this song. You'd be like, well, I, I, I don't know it so well. But the great thing was, it's like those, as the music goes around every four bars, you get more confident and you're like, okay, hold on, I have it now. I think I have it. And and you'd see people making mistakes and everything, but nobody cared because it's it's not it wasn't it wasn't like a rehearsal it wasn't like a live show it was just like a th- an endless loop that it kept going and when it did end there was somebody already thinking of that as you said Johnny at the bar or get Mary in the back and she'd say no a thousand times and eventually she'd come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but isn't that lovely? I think that's so amazing. And like the mistake thing isn't isn't a part of it at all actually people like that's over it's gone you know it's the the next note you want to hear so like um it's 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 a fantastic uh it's it's something unique to us in ireland you cannot get this anywhere else maybe sometimes in new orleans during the jazz festival there you might get a few spontaneous sessions but 
really it's 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 so particular to Ireland sometimes in Scotland but it's more orchestrated in Scotland as well where people are you know uh, it's you know you know it's kind of nearly like a gig while you go into bars here and there's one person playing maybe in the corner and people chatting away play pay no heed to them at all until they maybe play something special but um that's all you know it's 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 something we can't lose because it shows that again how creative this country is and if something it is something we can show the world how this 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 small nation is so creative with writers you know, musicians, actors, playwrights, you know, the whole thing, visual arts. There is something there that we have that in abundance that I think other people envy. Yes. And, and you know, that word, you know, crack, the crack August kill. I mean, it's true because, you know, the, the, the thing is people just let loose and they don't care. I remember being at a session once and I was playing a song and this woman sat down and whatever, she was wearing this kind of a top that looked like a, a maternity top, you know. And I said to her, when's the baby due? And she said, oh, I'm not pregnant. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the whole table was in stitches. And some fella said, actually, you might be after the night's over, you know. And <laughs> but that's the, the crack that nobody gets offended. Nobody... People just laugh because nobody means any offense. And, you know, they get lost in the music and the crack and the, the speech and everything. And uh, it's just such a lovely feeling. And the thing is, people never want the night to end. Yeah, it's a, it's a sense of humor. You know, if you don't have a sense of humor, it's very sad. You know, um, there's always somebody going to be, you know, slagging somebody else, you know, and that's always fun, you know. And uh, if you can't laugh at yourself, it's very sad, you know. If you think, you know, and uh, we all, we all love people, kind of, you know, slagging us off or whatever they want to do. You know, nobody gets offended about anything because no, no, you know, no. Life is short enough. Why should we kind of start becoming yeah. precious about ourselves? And that's another. Yeah, you have to have a thick skin, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but also, you know, if you become precious about yourself, but the crack goes, you know, then there's no fun in you. Everybody says, what's wrong with that that tool of a person? You know? And, you know, you said something there that actually, as I said, my wife is Polish and she said something to me once. And I said to her, you know, I never really realized it, but you're right. She said, the thing I love about Irish people, she said, it's Polish people aren't like this. She said, they can tell a joke about themselves. They can laugh about themselves. And they, they, so they don't offend people because they're putting themselves in the same box, you know, and they're, they're very, they have a very discreet, mannerly way of pulling the piss out of you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's to do with that ego, egotistical people. You know, Irish people, they won't, you know, they'd be saying, you know, they they take the corners off you if you are big-headed, which is fantastic. And, like, it's, it keeps everyone on the same level. Yeah. You know, someone yeah. is poking their head out saying, oh, well, I'm better than you. They're put down, which is right. Because it's not about ego. It's about coming together. It's about everyone pulling all the resources together for the or the greater good, we'll say. Of course, of course. Let's, um, I just want to talk, go back there to when when you 
you know, trained to be a teacher. Uh-huh. So was that something, you know, that you always wanted to be a teacher or was there something that made you go on that path? And and also what I want to know is what were you thinking at that time that maybe music could have been a career or you were thinking, no, it's only a hobby? Well, I suppose, first of all, it's about 100 years ago since I was trained to be a teacher. I went to Carysfort uh, Training College. Um, what I wanted to do that time was art. And my father was a teacher and he was thinking, well, she'll do art and she might be an art teacher in secondary school or whatever. And I wanted to be more serious about that, like visual art I was talking about. So then he said, well, if you go to to teaching, you can take art as one of your main subjects. So I did that. And it meant I had two months off then during the summer that I could pursue my music career which is what I did so like the music uh was always like to me music wasn't a pastime it's it's like it's a nurturing thing you know it's 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 something I need to do it's not a pastime as such I I need to do it as much as I need to eat as I much as I need to drink water a day you know I need to play I need to play music. That's my expression. So it's it's not really a pastime. And um, it was great then when I decided to go full time because this is, I, I, I kind of put it down to a question I asked myself. Do I want to be known as a teacher? The day I die, will I need to be known as a teacher or a musician? I said, a musician. <laughs> so like it was all very philosophical, but uh um, that was yeah. your legacy. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be known as a musician. And I'm still learning and trying hard to, you know, I, I, I just love working on music. A lot of my friends who play traditional Irish music miss the sessions. I didn't miss the sessions at all, in a way, because I was rearing my child this last 17 years, we'll say. So I didn't get to sessions. So playing music on my own in the house has like to to get the time to do that now was like a luxury to me. So I'm playing more music now than I've I did this last twenty years. You know, so it's I'm kind of opposite to a lot of people who actually the only time they play music is when they're in the session. You know, so I kind of um, opposites. <laughs> and you know, for you as a teenager, obviously you had a, a lot of influence from. A lot of the musicians you mentioned there, you know, Christy Moore, Paul Brady, these musicians you heard all around you. But, you know, was there, was there a mixture of music going on in your head at the time? Because obviously you had your parents who were, you know, playing music and singing. But were you also influenced by music in the charts or pop music as well? Was there a mixture? Oh, yeah. I was total rock and roller growing up. I loved David Bowie. David Bowie was my favorite. Like that was my first album. My brother bought Siggy Stardust years ago, and then I bought uh, Aladdin Sane. So that was a huge. Like I love that whole creative uh, his his approach, and like I'd listen to that for morning tonight. And also Rory Gallagher and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and then you know. Listen, listen to everything and when I went to America for the first time I used to seek out the jazz clubs in Manhattan uh, because you know we we wouldn't go to the Irish bars at all because like 
why would we be going there? Because we are from Ireland, yeah. you know. <laughs> yes, we'd yes. always seek out jazz places like Miles Davis might be playing or somebody like that, you know. And it was always um so it was to me the last thirty years has been a like an education, especially when you go to places like New Orleans, you get the traditional jazz and then you go to New York and you have that more sophisticated urban jazz. And then, you know, you'd hear bluegrass live and you'd hear, you'd hear country music. And coming from Donegal, I was brought up with a lot of bad country and Irish. Like I couldn't get into country and Irish, but when I went to America, I loved country music, really loved uh, the real bluegrass uh, and then old-timey music. I met a lot of these musicians, uh, you know, the bluegrass musicians. They'd play a lot of Irish tunes as well, of course, and uh, there was a lot of common ground to be able to to work with them, you know. And uh, it's it was just uh, it's an education that's still ongoing. I love to hear every type of music. I I, I just adore it. Yeah, and you know, here's a, here's a question that's gonna be kind of it's a weird question, but I'm sure there it's, there maybe there's not a definitive answer. But for you, because you were always playing as a youngster and playing in the bars. Would you say there was a time that you had your first gig or do you think Obtura was always playing or did you remember one band or one group that was your first gig? Well, my, my, yeah, I remembered the first gig, obviously. Well, first of all, I, I used to play with my father in a family band. So that like he, he would get formal gigs on stages and stuff like that you know, in the local theatre or we were invited to Scotland. Oh, my God. Lo and behold, we were in Glasgow and in Edinburgh. And then we were brought to Brittany to the Lorient Festival, International Lorient Festival there. So that was my upbringing with him. And then my late husband and I started Alphan, uh, Frankie Kennedy, my late husband and I started Alphan. And like our first gig as Alphan was at the Listole Writers Week. Um, oh, I can't remember now. <laughs> 1980 something. And um, that was our very first Alpine gig in uh, St. John's Church there in the middle of Listole in County Kerry. And then we started just playing around Dublin at certain little, you know, little venues here and there. And we got a record deal with Gaylene initially. And then Green Linnet Records in America signed us up. And then out of that came the Virgin International deal with the London-based Virgin Music. And that was mega for us because we went, like, that brought us, like, I mean, to me, to be signed to Virgin International was huge then because that's when it they were really big, you know. Yeah. And the name Alton, actually, tell us the story about the name. Oh, well, Alton is a, a lake very close to here, and it means a slope into water. And you see the place names in Scotland as well, because Scotland has a Gaelic uh, tradition as well. So you, sometimes you're traveling in Scotland, next thing you see Alton written. So it's, it's in a lot of place names. So it's a slope into water, like a gorge. So there is a lake there called Loch Alton. And my father used to use that for his band Caltri Alton 
many, many years ago. And then when we were looking for a name, he said, you should use the name Alcan because it's easily said, it's easily pronounced as a Gaelic name. Nobody will make mistakes as such, you know, Alcan, you know, you can't make a mistake. So, um, yeah, it's it's proved, proven well for us because uh, we we make most of our living out of Ireland, which is sad. Uh, was it Christy Moore said, why go to Adelaide in Australia when you can go to Adlone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing about Irish music and Irish bands that we've seen, unfortunately, a lot of Irish bands, like when you look at the Cranberries or look at U2 or even Planet, a lot of Irish bands and yourselves as well seem to do better when they break the waters, when they go across the Atlantic. And it's like, because you're more of a, a, a jewel, it's more, you're, you stand out better, I think. In Ireland, there's so much talent, it's hard to be recognised there. But when you go abroad, then somebody else sees it. Yeah, I think what happened was, uh, if the New York Times gives you a good review, or the Boston Globes, People at home then say, oh, my God, these must be good. Like, they could have been listening to you for years. But Irish people are saying, who do they think they are? You know, and next thing, someone in the Boston Globe says, the hottest band in the Celtic realm. And then they say, just we have to get them. You know, and you say, why? You know, it's really... Irish people are a bit hard on you know, their own, their own kind of artists because they're like, yeah, sure, yeah, but you know, and someone say, oh, he's a great artist or he's a great singer or he's this. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, I heard him a few times. And then two years later, he's big in Boston. They're like, oh, I've always supported him. You know, we can be, we can be a bit like um, begrudging sometimes. We're very yeah. hard. Yeah, so. Yeah, we're very hard on ourselves. Yeah. But we didn't mind, you know, we at that stage, you know, we were in our 20s. We didn't mind. We wanted to travel the world. We didn't want to be running up and down the country here, although it was impossible to get any gigs in Ireland and still is, to be honest with you, outside the festivals, you know, for a professional band. And the chieftains are the same. I've had this conversation with Paddy Maloney and with Kevin Kniff and Matt Malloy. You know, they had they still have to leave Ireland. They never, very, very, very uh, little play, you know, they never play in Ireland because they're a big band. They have to be paid properly uh, like that. Again, it might be that mentality. Who do they think they are? <laughs> you know, and uh, like they're fa- fabulous. Like they've been doing what we've been doing for far longer than what like Alton have been on and they're mega in America as well and uh, it's people like them that I admire so much because they've they've trotted that road and and paved the way for younger bands and we're paving the way for other younger bands and you know people know our music and if I, a new band come along and they they're looking for a gig they say oh we like Irish music we like Alton so we'll give it We'll give them the gig now, you know, so that's, we're helping each other all the time, you know. When, you know, obviously when you and Frankie formed the band, you know, and uh, then was it a kind of a thing that you thought, okay, this will be a bigger band or did it kind of just evolve very naturally? Well, we didn't really know what was going to happen. We our first album was with Gayling, as I was saying. So, and we were still teaching at the time. So we didn't realize, 
you know, that there was such a potential. But people started to invite us to go to America, to go to Europe, you know, France, Germany. So we realized that there was an, a market there. So, of course, you know, if there's a market there, you know, we had to make the choice then. Will we keep teaching or will we try this? And we were young and we wanted to travel. And that was so important to us, you know, to travel to uh, America. America was has been so good to us. And if it wasn't for America, we would, wouldn't still be a band, you know, because that has sustained us all these and the people there have been so amazing and you know you go there and you a lot of people think they don't know anything about Irish music sorry they know so much about Irish music a lot of people are very discerning listeners they know what they want they know who you're talking about when you chat about John Doherty or if you talk about Seamus Ennis or anybody they will know you don't have it to explain too much they're quite discerning listeners and a lot of people thought oh if you're going to america you have to be very shamragi and leprechaun this and that you know that's stage irish and i said no you don't you know and so we went there one musician told me to start singing more in english and what what we realized when we arrived in the states we were playing a lot of these acoustic music venues a lot of them be rock venues and one night they'd have us the next night they might have somebody from Romania or Russia or Germany so like it didn't matter what language you were singing and as long as you were doing it well so there wasn't a big blockage at all about me singing in Gaelic actually it was more of an advantage because if you think of the amount of Irish uh, uh Irish immigrants that went to America uh, whose families live there now, we say from famine times, so many people look at themselves as part Irish. So they wanted to hear the language. So it's kind of the total opposite to what people perceived that what we should have done. You know, they wanted us to be paddywhackery, you know, bring on the shillelaghs and, you know, do wear green and and we said, no, let's give them the real thing. And they really did appreciate that. You know? Yeah, that's true. I, I, I think that the genuine article will always go down better. And you might get a bit of resistance from bar owners and stuff because, you know, unfortunately, the Irish bar around the world can be a bit of that paddy whackery kind of, you know, where the, I see it here in Madrid where there's bars. And they're you know, proclaiming to be Irish, but they're completely owned by Spanish people. And you wouldn't even find an Irish person. You're standing in there as the only Irish person going, what's going on? You know, so the problem is you don't want to get sucked into that because they're more like theme bars. You just want to say, this is who we are. This is the same way we play in Ireland. You know, it's just a different audience, but this is who we are. Oh, I, I, I like we were adamant that we were going to bring them what we like to do genuinely what we like to do and that was singing Donegal songs in Irish you know uh, making doing nice arrangements of them on guitar and bazooki and nice harm, harmonic ideas and just doing stuff that we liked and I think it's in another way looking at all those Irish bars all over the world you know that's that's a total compliment as well to the Irish people you know you know, you might cringe sometimes and then you say, well, it means they like the Irish idea, what they think the Irish idea is, whatever that is, I don't know. But uh, it is like how many Irish bars are in Tokyo and Osaka, 
oh my god the amount of irish bars i've I've gone to there you know it's just incredible and they love but they're not uh they're very um aesthetically nicer <laughs> they wouldn't be as green you know uh they like to have irish bars but they they're very discerning about what they play like they'd be playing lunacy maybe or the chieftains or ourselves or clannad or whatever and you know they they do know what's happening and they keep up to date they look at tg Kahar. they you know any irish music program that's happening they will have it up on their screens there you know i've seen things there that i haven't seen on irish TV. <laughs> unedited stuff yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know, i understand that's great yeah so obviously then when you know you you formed in 1987 but then obviously as frankie became unwell and he passed away in 94 was there you know was, was that kind of a, a point in time where you thought to yourself I don't know if I want to do this or, you know, was was it a very hard decision to continue or, or I'm sure he really wanted you to continue? Yeah, well, I had to go with his wishes. He had put so much work into, he had a great vision of what the band should be and what where we should go. And I just thought that would be a total insult to his his energy and life and his passion. Like he worked so hard to make Altan and to bring us to, that stage it was to the Virgin Deal, which was a mega thing for Irish traditional music, especially Irish traditional music that was infused with something funkier. We'll say it was just the pure thing. So, like I thought, I have to just keep going. It was really, really difficult, but um, I think it was the best uh, choice I made. Uh, for everybody, because we all lost a friend. Like the rest of the band lost a friend. I lost my my best friend and it was in his honor we did it for a while and then I realized this really was the making of me because I was able to keep going and play music it was very hard um I I still miss him terribly uh even though I've been married and like separated some but he was a, a great friend um great person a huge musician and just he was a lovely lovely person you know uh one of these things you know you get philosophical maybe the reason for it, that I met this man was uh he made me a better person you know that's why you know when, when your love uh makes you a better person that's why I, I was to meet him can I ask you obviously um did you guys meet at a young age and like what was was Frankie from somewhere near you Frankie was from Belfast and I met him when I was 14 years old and Hughie Bags pub he came in the door and as soon as he came in the door I just well well he looked very <laughs> but uh and he didn't play music at all then so he and I ended up chatting I don't know why and he knew that the only way like obviously I I went home and he started learning music and the following year he was learning the whistle and the flute and we got together and that was the beginning wow. and end of it. It was a complete indulgence in each other and in music. And it was great. Yes. And would it be that would it be that he would he went he came back there every summer on holidays because of family or what was it? 
it was a traditional place for Belfast people to come to Gilmore uh, during, especially during the marching season around the 12th of July as well. And then they'd come back maybe Halloween, uh, Christmas, and again, St. Paddy's Day or Easter. So he'd be coming regularly up to Gidor, like from Queen's University. A lot of the students would come who were interested in the culture <clears throat> and in the in the area and in the Gaelic language. So they would come up and, of course, they were all out for, you know, good time, uh, especially students, but they all loved the music and the music was beginning to become very, very popular then. You know, that was the beginning of Planksty and all of those, uh, you know, young bands, Clannad and all of that starting off, you know. So uh, the, that type of music was very popular then. The, when, when you look now back, you know, over your discography and all the albums you've released with Alton, do you feel that your the band's style has changed or, you know, do you feel like when you look at some albums compared to the other ones, like that that things are the music is different in some way like your last album gap of dreams for example yes well we'll, we'll say the first album was myself and frankie with friends just we had invited people in but then that became a band and so the lineup has changed over the years at the, be- at the beginning there was just frankie on flute me and fiddle and a guitar bazooki then we brought in paula shaughnessy on fiddle so there was two fiddles, a flute and guitar bazooki. Then we brought in Kieran Tur, so there's three fiddles, guitar and bazooki. Then Paul left and we brought in Dermot Byrne, who became my second husband. And it it all evolved. But every, with the, every evolution, I thought there was a, a great maturity happening musically, sonically. We were all getting used to being in a recording studio and using the recording studio to make it appealing. Um, and then sometimes maybe overproduced, and then we went wanted to go back to more less produced uh, sound so that we could create that on a live situation in a live situation. But um, I think we all learnt a lot of skills because when you play music, you never think of recording. You're going to start recording it, especially with traditional music. You're not thinking I'm going to become a recording artist. But the recording element becomes part of your instrument and your voice as well. And that's another element of your music that you're learning about and how to use it and how to use it at the best and at the best way. How can your instrument sound better? How can your voice sound better? How to approach it? There's so much involved and it's a learning process. Yes. And can I ask you, obviously, because Donegal is such a rich heritage with Irish music and everything. And obviously, you know, when you have, you know, Moya Brennan and yourself and Enya and all these people, when when a lot of these artists obviously become bigger and are more well-known, is it harder for those artists then, even like yourself, to, to kind of blend in, to go back to the sessions? Does it become more difficult? No. No. <laughs> no, not at all. No. Um, I'm just one of the locals. Like, I... I go into the session whenever I, I, I like to go in and just play away and there's never any, you know, it's just, you're just one of the musicians playing away in the corner, which is great. Yes. That's what you want. Yeah, that's good. No, like, you know, it all depends on your attitude as well. You know, you don't want to come in and just spoil the whole thing. You know, the whole thing is to blend and, and to, to be part of it, you know, because that's, 
that's the inspiration, really. Brilliant. And so, you know, moving on to just some of your collaborations there, because I see your, your string sisters, you know, um, and the, the fiddler group. So is that something that's ongoing or is that something that's kind of in the past or do you still do it? Oh, no, that's ongoing all the time. It's just to, because it's an international uh, uh, group. There are people from Norway, Sweden, two people from America, then a lot of Scottish backing. And uh, so it, it, it has to be well organized and well ahead so that everybody is free because we're all in different bands and we, you know, we have to organize it like a year ahead before we can uh, come together and uh, organize uh, a gig even. We were supposed to go to America last year, and of course, because of COVID, that didn't happen. So maybe it'll happen next year. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's an interesting one. And then I have a, uh, we have another version of it, the Donegal version called She Fiddlers, and there's thirteen Donegal fiddlers together. And we just issued an album there during COVID last year, and that's that was fun because it's a lot of younger fiddle players that I just admire so much and we just playing Donegal music and it's it's great to see um really lovely I I enjoy that a lot and and what about tea with the Maggies what is is that something that that like you still do that's all going to yeah we, we don't close anything everything has happened um well that's with Maya Brennan and Myra then Sheena and you and they're, the three of them have always been my heroes, you know, heroines or whatever you call them, uh, lady-wise. And um, it was great that some, I think one of them suggested, let's get together for a gig. And we realized it was fun. And we all know each other's music, so it was easy to blend. And we all know the, the same versions of the songs and we speak the same dialect of Irish which was easy so it's all very comfortable so that was yeah we're supposed to be doing something together soon so yeah that, that'll be fun it's a it's always a big laugh <laughs> have you during COVID have you done you know any more TV work because obviously in the past you've done the pure drop and a lot of work for TG Cahar and TG4 so have you done much during COVID not not as an interviewer as an interviewee yes I've, I've done a few uh, for RTE and uh, there was uh, Nationwide did a, uh, a nice piece on me this time last year and uh, I think you come to an age where people want to make programs about you. And in a way, it's very complimentary. And another way you're saying, Jesus, I must be one of the old ones now. <laughs> but, that, but that's fine. I don't mind that, you know. But so it's it's nice to indulge in the memories and to have to 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 just talk uh, about the people who have really helped mold uh, my music and my perception of life in general and I really like to um, acknowledge them in these interviews I think that's important yeah and you know it's funny isn't it because every let's say in my car you know I have like a USB stick with music on it and I have 
all types of music. You know, I, I love like Paul Brady. I love yourselves. I love Dervish, that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, I listen to everything. I, I'm a big Metallica fan. I love Christy Moore. I listen to everything. And it, but the, the, the great thing is that my kids, you know, hear all of this in the car. And the other day, actually, I put on some, some Paul Brady stuff that I hadn't put on before. And my daughter, who's 10, said, wow, he, he's a fabulous singer. And I said, I said, yeah, he's a lovely voice. And she was like, I never heard him before. And, you know, she'd be listening to Ariana Grande and this kind of stuff, you know. And it's just, that's just the thing about music is that, you know, it's not about what you see, it's about what you hear. And it, a voice can melt even a 10-year-old soul. You know what I mean? Obviously, they're listening to a lot of good music if they choose things like that. And like, you know, it, I think all you have to do is just, have it available and have playing really good music and children they're they incredibly honest about music you know and and they're very discerning listeners as well they know what they like and they know what they don't like and if they like something play that again play that again I remember when she was a little one she loved Trina Nugonen singing do you love an apple you know do you love a pear <laughs> It was going all the time, and Eddie Reader, and yeah. then you know all these lovely singers, and of course my Brennan and Anya, and you know local people. I liked her to feel these are all local people, and look, they're singing gorgeous songs, and that's it's so important. It is. It's it's lovely, and I mean it's great when kids, you know, nowadays can hear. Like I I always said to my daughter, I always said, look. Whatever you hear nowadays, unfortunately, there's a lot of sampling and plagiarism and, you know, they're, they're, they're taking other ideas and some are borrowing, some are being influenced and some are stealing. But the thing about it is when kids get to go back and listen everything to everything, you know, back to the blues and Elvis and everything and rock in the 70s, Rory Gallagher, you name it. I mean, it's great when they go, wow, this song is a copy of a song that's out now. And I said, no, no, no. The song that's out now is a copy because unfortunately <laughs> with music, there's only so many notes and so many melodies. And the thing is, it's getting harder and harder to be original for younger artists now, yes. isn't it? Yes, yes. It's been done before. Like uh, very often I, I would hear a little riff in the middle of a traditional music thing. And like it's, it's just a... You know, they're borrowing from, we'll say, a good rock and roll thing or a blues thing. And I'm saying, it's been done before, <laughs> you know. You know, you know the you know the track right away. But you know, it is it's hard to become original. That's why it's it's really important as a teacher, like to to allow children to express themselves in their way so that the originality can remain rather than copy, you know. So uh, I'm always trying to whenever I'm teaching fiddle to yes take my music and learn it but make it your own you know and try and and try and bring that originality and then you you create something better again when you make it your own you know yes um I, I'm, go I'm not going to keep it too much longer but I wanted to ask you about you were saying there about the composition because obviously you know for for some artists who you know compose more music and then others who compose more lyrics for you when you compose 
uh, does the melody always come first, like with the, with the with the fiddle, or do you sometimes get vocal melodies and then put the fiddle to them? How what way do you kind of do it? The the most I've composed would be melodies, you know, which would be reels, jigs, slowers, pieces, music. I've done that. And more recently, I've started writing songs. The first song I wrote was for Nia, uh, uh, for a solo album I brought out in a limited uh, form uh, called Immel in 2009, and I called it Nino. So I wrote a song for her specifically because she was the most important thing in my life. And then I started composing recently as well, songs. So... I, I thought that words didn't really matter to me because a lot of the Gaelic songs that I sing are, uh, you know, they're beautiful poetic uh, songs based on old bardic poetry, which is based really on little snapshots of love, person, the person that loves the other person. Like they're not ballads as such. They wouldn't be storylines. So like there wouldn't be, Unless they were, you know, I wouldn't be singing a lot of rebel songs or things like that in the Irish language because the rebel songs in the Irish language were metaphoric. Like, for instance, Moroshin Du. That's a rebel song in a way because people took Moroshin Du as Ireland. And, you know, it was all metaphorically written very, very, very well. But uh, then, you know, th- this thing of having a message. So really with the COVID and everything, the message was, you know, and with people like Greta Thunberg, you know, young people are just becoming so into saving the the environment. So I wrote a song about that that I'm in the middle of recording at the moment about, isn't it great how young people are going to actually be our saviors here, you know, because they're thinking in the right way. They're saying, cut down the CO gases and all of that. And that's the kind of stuff I want to write about now is what is happening in this world. And then my sister got a bad news at Christmas that she had cancer and we went through an awful time just worrying about her. And so I wrote a song for her called Ray and Polish, which means the era of light, just trying to bring, you know, we're going forward with this, even though it's dark, but we'll come out with the light, like in the morning time. It'll like, it's a little like a prayer really or a, a wish of goodness towards her so I've, I'm doing a lot of stuff like that recently just uh, trying to bring a message rather than just a jumble of words <laughs> so um, yeah doing more lyric stuff <clears throat> but again to answer the question the lyric comes first there and then I put the melody to Yes, yes. And I suppose that's one of the hard things, you know, with Irish music, because, you know, a lot of um, compositions are sometimes spin-offs of other compositions. And for example, you know, the the uh, Appalachian music and the Cajun music and Irish music are so similar. So a lot of the time you might find a tune in Ireland and it's carried across to to their culture and vice versa. So I imagine for people writing new tunes it's hard sometimes not like you will always have an influence but it's hard sometimes not to rewrite a tune if you know what I mean yeah that's that's one of the things as well but I I, I'm very careful about that when I'm writing you know I may I, I think you have to immerse yourself in the tradition and then 
reemerge with using all of that canvas of color that you've immersed yourself in and just reuse it somehow but uh, I don't think I've I've plagiarized anything so far (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh, um it's 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 great it's it's a because there's so much music there's so much there's so many melodies there's so many people uh actually creating music now it's it's a challenge but it's great it's actually fantastic and to be different is good you know and to to bring out the originality of your own music is is very important, I think. Yeah, and here's a question that I I I don't know. I think I asked this of a fiddle player once, you know, but when a when a fiddle player and a violin player sit down together, are the instruments very different, or does it depend on their musical background? It it is it's the same instrument. The 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 instrument is exactly the same. Fiddle, violin, exactly the same. And I sat down with uh, Didier Lockwood, who's a jazz musician. He died last year, actually, from France. He was amazing um, jazz fiddle player. Uh, and I sat down with Yehudi Menuhin many many years ago when I was young. And uh, these were like from other genres of music and. It was the same instrument and they really loved what we did with all our triplets and our ornamentation while, you know, I couldn't get over their uh, immense ability of going up and down the key, the, 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 the fingerboard without any, you know, it was done so easily because, you know, their, their technique is completely different to our technique and our bowing is different. And uh, it's just, it's all so different. Like if you really go back into it, Irish, the Irish um, scale is actually not the European scale, like do, re, mi, fa, so, do. It's completely different. It's all modes and, uh, and they love that because they've been brought up in this classical field with, where everything is so different. But these in-between notes that we play and all the the little nuances that we have in Irish music, they just they go crazy about that. You know, they love that idea, you know. And so there's great mutual respect between the two, even though it's a violin player or a fiddle player. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because I think for a lot of people, obviously, you know, when they they see a violin in the hands of a classical player and then they see a fiddle well in the hands of like an Irish traditional player or bluegrass or Cajun or whatever, you know, they know straight away the styles are different. But then they're kind of thinking, you know, like obviously they're, they look the same instrument. But as you said, it's the articulations and the triplets, all these things that make the differences, isn't it? Yeah, and and it's again, it goes down to the psyche, you know. I think it all comes from our Irish psyche is is so different, and what that's what we should, uh, that's what 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 we should, that's what the government should respect and put forward, and that's why the language is so important to keep that way of thinking, because from that way of thinking. Our English language even is creative because of that, like the likes of Joyce and them based their most well-known um, books on that colourful language, which it was a direct translation from the Gaelic language, you know. So, and then out of that comes 
the rhythm of language comes the rhythm of the music and it's all based on that way of thinking so like i think it's so basic that sometimes our government don't don't respect us enough for that you know and they should be pushing more and more money into the the guilt art areas the music what we have indigenously here what is what we have as our own and what I always notice is they put so much money into opera and all that, which is fantastic. I love opera. I have nothing again. But we are not known as an opera. Like, and, and I know you need lots of money for costumes and all that. But they seem to forget and to be blind about our own indigenous culture which is makes us completely different you know yeah don't don't never lose it we can never lose it yeah. because it's so rich and it's so varied and so culture and i mean not to mention historically important we can never lose that i'm going to ask oh, you so yeah i'm yeah. going to ask you would you place a tune oh where's my fiddle i will i'll play you a tune do place a tune if you don't I mind the fiddle here the fiddle i was yeah Right, I'll play you um, Paddy's Trip to Scotland, which is uh, a Donegal tune I got from the great uh, John Doherty. That's really lovely, Maureen. Uh, we appreciate you. it so much. It sounds beautiful. Wonderful oh, as ever. <laughs> so listen, Maureen, the last question I'm going to ask you, what's kind of your um, aspirations for the rest of the year? What do you hope to do? As little as I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe the best answer. <laughs> I want to become lazier. <laughs> yeah, why not? You have to relax now, you know, especially yes. after all the hard work you've done. So listen, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure and we really appreciate you taking the time and we look forward to everything you're going to do this year, whether it's not much or a lot. Um, <laughs> and we look forward to future releases from Altan and yourself and seeing you on the TV and everything. And uh, once again, thank you very much. Uh, and Winnie, everybody. Thanks. Okay, Maureen, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that chat and it was lovely to hear about your life in Donegal and to hear about, you know, the wonderful people you've met in your musical career and the musical career with Alton, which is still flourishing. And we hope to hear mu more music from you soon. And it was a pleasure to talk to you.
Okay, moving on to next week's guest. Next week, we're going to be speaking to Juliana Erconen and Donald Gibbons. Juliana Erconen, who moved to the west of Ireland from Finland in 2003, is a fiddle player and has played with many bands in Finland and Ireland, such as the Invisible Jug Band, the Rocky River Bluegrass Show, Mike and the Scallywags, and is currently part of the folk band The Rains with Ruth Dillon and Yvonne Tiernan. Donald Gibbons is a musician from Clahanover who hosts a music show on Clahanover Sounds Radio Station. He has run the stage in Electric Picnic and was the organiser of the Last Walls Tribute Show, a tribute to the band and the Black Box and other promotions. Currently, himself and Juliana are part of a group called Cousin Tablet and they play with other musicians from around Ireland and the Galway area. So we look forward to speaking to Juliana and Donald on next week's show. It should be really interesting and we hope you guys tune in. We hope you're enjoying all the shows and you stay listening all the time. And until the next time, look after yourself and look after everybody else. My name is Simon Kay. This is the Collective Whisper podcast. Take care. Until next time. Bye-bye.